the night before Jesus died, he gathered together with the disciples and they had what we call the Last Supper. But the Last Supper was taken from the Passover Seder. The Passover is what Jewish people all around the world this week are celebrating. And it's a remembrance of the time when they were slaves in Egypt. For those of you who have been here as part of the church on Sundays, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and you, and you read how the Jewish people came to Egypt, and they were welcomed during a time when there was no food in Israel. And Joseph, who himself was Jewish, he, he was able to provide for his whole family, even when, even when there was no food anywhere. But, but in Egypt, they had everything the people needed. So the Jewish people came, the children of Jacob, they came to Egypt. They were made welcome. They lived there. The Pharaoh or the king of Egypt blessed them. But you know what happened? Years started to go by. About 400 years went by. And another king, another pharaoh came who didn't remember Joseph. And he started to see all the people of God, the Jewish people, were getting blessed. How many of you know if you're a child of God, you're going to live in the abundance and blessing of heaven? Well, the blessings started come on them. They started to multiply. And the king said, we better do something about these Jewish people. This is in the book of Exodus. So what they did was they made them slaves. And the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. They'd separate the families. A lot of people today believe that the pyramids were built, the pyramids in Egypt were built by the Jewish slaves. So the Jewish people lived in, in slavery in Egypt. They were whipped. They were beaten. They were told to work harder. And they cried out to God to send them a Savior, to send them a Deliverer, to send them someone who, who would set them free from slavery and bring them into the land that God had promised them. And that's what this Seder, the Passover, is all about. It's, it's a time of remembering what God did in bringing out His people from slavery in Egypt into a place of freedom. And why are we celebrating that now in church? What does that have to do with Jesus? But here's what it has to do. The Bible says that everyone who doesn't know Jesus, if you're not born again, if you don't have Jesus in your heart, you're just like those Jewish people in Egypt because you're a slave to sin. You're, you're a slave to the addictions of your past. You're a, the Bible says either you serve God or you serve the devil. But you've got to serve someone. You know, sometimes we tell people in the street about Jesus, and they say, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in the devil, I'm my own man. There's no such a thing, the Bible says. You're either a slave of God or you're a slave to the devil. 
And just as God set the Jewish people free from slavery in Egypt, Egypt is a symbol or a picture of your past. It's a symbol of sin. And if you've got Jesus in your heart, God has brought you out of slavery into freedom. And that's why Jesus taught so much out of the Last Supper or the Passover, because it's so rich in symbolism. So I'm really excited to share this. We're not going to do every single part of it. We're going to do most of it so that you can understand the foundation of the faith. Because tonight, Good Friday, we're celebrating the death of Jesus on the cross when he died for our sins. And then on Sunday, we're going to come for Easter and celebrate the resurrection where Jesus rose from the dead. So on the Passover, the Jewish people drink four cups. And again, don't drink the whole thing at once because that's it. You're going to be out. We're cheap here. We didn't buy enough. So what you do is you drink a little bit every time. And Jesus, he drank these four cups on the night before he died. And that's why this is so important. This is a foundation for your faith. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. There's a fancy word. What does it mean, sanctification? It means set apart, made holy. That's what God did for the Israelites. He took them out of slavery and brought them out and separated them. And the Jewish people, they celebrate this cup because they believe that there are special days in the year that are made holy. So, for example, they believe that on Saturday, the Sabbath is a holy day. They believe that Passover is a holy day. But you know what it tells us in the New Testament? That every day is holy. See, I'm glad to be here on Good Friday to celebrate the death of Jesus, but I celebrate it every day. It could be 3 in the morning. I could be walking down the street. I hope not. Why did I say that? I hope I'm not walking down the street 3 in the morning. My wife got nervous over here for a minute. That, that was rhetor- called rhetorical. But you can, you can be in the middle of the night. You can't sleep. You can be in the worst place. And that place is holy. That time is holy. In the Old Testament, it was all about wearing holy clothes and having holy food and having holy dishes and plates. But in the New Testament, it's something even greater. God has made you holy. Everywhere you go is holy ground. He has set you apart and made you holy. That's what the death of Jesus on the cross has done. And that's not something future. It doesn't mean, well, maybe when you die and go to heaven, you'll become holy. It means if you've got Jesus in you right here and right now, When God looks at you, He sees a man or a woman of holiness. That's why the Bible says you can lift up holy hands to God. That's why we can worship Him. He's made your mouth holy. Maybe you've cursed out a lot of people in your life. 
Maybe you've hurt people with your words. It sounds for some of you it hasn't been that long ago. But yet God has made your lips holy so that you could sing praises to Him. See, that's why Ephraim, when he leads worship, it's so much his heart that he sees some of you staying away from the presence of God because you feel like you're not good enough. But you're good enough in Him. You've been sanctified, set apart. That's what the word means, saint. A saint isn't isn't a statue of some guy from 300 years ago in the Catholic Church. A saint is any Christian, any child of God who's been made holy. God has taken you out of the world and He's made you a powerful Mighty man or woman or child of God. And that's what the first cup is about. So I'm just going to pray. We're gonna, I'm going to thank God for you. I thank God that, that He's brought here tonight a holy remnant. That, that, that you've been made pure and holy when He looks at you. He, do, he doesn't always stand in judgment. But the Bible says when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. It doesn't mean he doesn't get real with our, with our sins, with our rebellion. It doesn't mean he tolerates everything that we do. But that's not what I'm speaking of. Your position before him is that when he looks at you, he accepts you. That's why the Bible says come boldly before God. So, Father, I thank you for a holy company of of saints, Lord God, those who have been set apart and sanctified. I just thank you in Jesus' name. So let's drink from the first cup. I'm gonna. Every one of you should have two pieces of what's called matzah. You notice that it's flat. It's not like Wonder Bread or none of that. Why? Why is it flat? Because there's no yeast in it. And when somebody makes bread, in order for the bread to rise, they have to put yeast or baking powder or baking soda and you just put a little bit and it causes it to rise well on the day of the Passover God told the Jewish people to make this kind of flat bread bread without yeast because they were in a hurry to get out See, when you hear God telling you something you don't have to sit and pray about it or tell God I'm not ready for that we, we, got it. we need instant obedience. Well, that's what happened. And God told them to bake bread without yeast. But there's a deeper symbolism. It tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that yeast is a picture of sin. Why? Because any of you who bake, if you take the dough, you don't have to put a lot of baking soda in or yeast for it to rise. You just put a little bit and it affects the whole lump. 
the whole lump of dough will rise. It's the same thing with sin. If you just tolerate a little bit in your life, if you just go in the computer and look at a little bit pornography, just a little bit, it's going to start messing up your head, your emotions, whatever it is. Whatever that thing is that you know is wrong, God tells us don't tolerate it. We need to get it out of our life. And this bread is a picture of that. But it's even more, see, this bread is a symbol of Jesus. If you take a look at it, do you see that it has stripes? You see the stripes? What does the Bible say about Jesus? That, that he had stripes on his back from the whip. And by those stripes we are healed. Do you see that it's pierced with holes? Do you know that Jesus was pierced for your sin, for your transgression? They pierced his hands and his feet. Do you know that Jesus was without sin? And this bread was called the bread of affliction. And Jesus was afflicted in your place. And here's what the Jewish people do. They take three whole pieces of matzah. And they say it represents the high priest, the priest, and the Israelites. But you know what I believe? I believe it really represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because watch what they do. They take the middle matzah, which I believe represents the Son, Jesus, and they break it. And Jesus' body was broken. And then they take it, and they take a napkin like this. And they wrap it up in the napkin. Which is, and you know what the Bible said? When Jesus died, he was wrapped in grave clothes, in a grave cloth. You see how it's a picture of Jesus' death? His being wrapped, and then you know what they do? They hide it in order to play a game with the kids, which we're going to do. But when they hide it, it symbolizes the burial of Jesus. And then at the end, the kids look for it, and whoever finds it wins a prize. But it's the same thing with Jesus. He's hidden to many people. Go, go out in the street and tell people about Jesus. Oh, that? No, I don't want to see that. Don't tell me about that. He's hidden, but whoever finds him gets the prize of eternal life. Whoever uncovers him. So Candace is going to come and hide this, which is called in Hebrew the Afrikoman. And all the way at the end, the kids are going to look for it, and whoever finds it gets a prize. But you've got to close your eyes, because every time I do this, somebody cheats. So all the kids, close your eyes. Don't look. Okay, all the way at the end, the kids are going to look for it. You see, now we're going to do the second cup of the Passover. 
The second cup of the Passover is called the cup of judgment. Because when God chose to bring the Jewish people out of slavery, he raised up a deliverer named Moses. And Moses went to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And you know what the Pharaoh said? He said, no. So you know what God did? He brought plagues of judgment on the people. You know what happened one time? He caused he caused flies, millions of flies to come into people's homes in their food. Another time he caused all the water to turn into blood. Another judgment was lice. Imagine all in your hair, all in the bed, all in the pillow. And every time the the king of of Egypt would ask Moses and say, Okay, I'll let the people go. Just tell God to stop doing this stuff. And as soon as God would stop, the Pharaoh would say, Okay, but I tricked you. And, And he would try to keep the people in slavery. So it was not God's heart to bring judgment. But you can't keep playing around with God forever. You see, God is patient. He's long-suffering. But that's, that's why you've got to be careful. Your heart doesn't get hard towards God like Pharaoh did. So there were ten judgments poured out on the Egyptians. And the final judgment was that God was going to kill the firstborn son of every Egyptian family. It's about judgment. This cup represents the wrath of God against sin. It represents the judgment of God. And do you know what Jesus did? He took this second cup representing the wrath of God. The judgment of God poured out. And He held it up before the Father. And He said, if there's any way... If there's any other way that you can bring salvation without me having to go to the cross, then let this cup pass from me. But Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you know what Jesus did in that garden? He drank on himself. He took on himself the wrath of God against sin. The judgment of God. Every one of us deserves God's anger. Because it tells us in the Bible that the wages of sin is death. Not saying ten Hail Marys for sin. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the soul who sins must die. You know in the Old Testament, if somebody on Saturday on the Sabbath went to work, They didn't just punish them. They threw stones and killed them. Because the Old Testament shows us what we deserve. But you know what Jesus did? He took on himself all the anger of God against sin. All the wrath of God. All the judgment. He took it on himself. When he died on the cross, he drank this judgment. The judgment that should have been poured out on you and me. Jesus took it on himself. And he could have, he could have walked away. He could have said no. 
But you know what the Bible says? That it pleased him. It pleased him to go through it. Why? Because he couldn't stand the thought of of each one of you living in eternity without God. He had to have you. He had to come for you. He, he, He came and he paid the price. He said, I'll do whatever it takes. Because I can't live all eternity without Louis or Bird or Lucas. I, he was willing. And, and it says in Colossians, he thought it not robbery, which means he didn't even feel cheated with all he went through. It says in Isaiah, they pulled out his beard. They took a crown of thorns and put it on his head and stuck the thorns into the flesh. He was whipped and beaten and mocked and ridiculed and had nails in his hands and feet and hung on the cross. And he said it was worth it. That's why we're not going to drink this second cup today. Because Jesus drank it for us. There's no judgment on you. The wrath of God is not on you. The New Testament says that the church has not been appointed to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus took it on Himself. That's why I'm not afraid of the last days. People keep talking the last days, all the earthquakes, the judgment on the earth. It tells us in Psalm 91, it might fall a thousand people on this side, ten thousand on this side, but it will not come near you. It says you don't have to fear the terror of the night. People call me, oh, the terrorists, stay off the subway. I don't care, I'll go on any subway. Because I was not appointed to suffer the wrath of God because He took it on Himself. So, I'm going to ask you again to take one of the pieces of matzah and I'm going to ask the people helping to get ready with the bowls of the horseradish. This is some nasty tasting stuff coming up. (laughs) Who's ready for some real nasty tasting stuff? Well, why does God want us to do the Seder? Because when I, I, I was a teacher with little kids, and they understand things when they could feel it, when they could taste it, when they could touch it. So not yet. I'm just, just going to wait a minute. Wait, just wait. Don't start passing it yet because people won't know what to do with it. They might eat the whole thing. Then we have to call the ER. But one thing that God commanded the Israelites to do was to eat bitter herbs. What is bitter herbs? It's herbs that taste bitter and nasty. (laughs) Now why would God tell His people to eat nasty stuff? Because He said when you eat it, it's going to remind you of how bitter it was to be a slave in Egypt. And you know why we're going to do it? Because every now and then we need to take time to remember what it was like to to live in the bitterness of not knowing Jesus. Maybe if we did, so many of us wouldn't fall back into the world. Maybe we wouldn't be so fast to, to give up on God if we remembered the bitterness of the past. You know, Jesus... 
he dipped into the bitter herbs. And you know what he said? He said that the one that I share this with tonight is the one who will betray me. Jesus tasted bitterness. He was betrayed by one of his best friends, Judas. And you know why he did it? So that you won't have to suffer the bitterness of life. He took the bitterness on himself. But I'm just going to ask, if you could pass it around, just dip the matzah in. No, just take a little bit. And um, some people got really mad at me because they didn't tell them that it's pre- it can be sharp. So, so just take a little bit. But as you do it, I want you to take a minute and just think about it. We're just going to be silent for the next two or three minutes. And as you taste the bitterness... I want you to remember how bitter sin is. How bitter it was to live in addiction and not have Jesus. How bitter it is not to have hope. So, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna be silent. I just want you to reflect on that just for the next few minutes. I know it doesn't taste good, but that's what sin tastes like to God. Again, I know it's funny, but I'd like to make it into a reflective time right now. I, I just want you to spend the next few minutes just to reflect on what it was like not having Jesus. God wants us to remember. It doesn't mean every day we walk around remembering. But if every now and then we remember the bitterness... I believe we would be so much more thankful to God for what He's done for us. Amen. So um, I know some of you are still doing it, but everyone else, if you could turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 12. Because before we're done, we want to share the the story of the Passover. Because you need to understand why we talk about the blood of Jesus. Why is Jesus the Lamb of God? You can't understand it unless you understand the Passover story. 
So Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now God had already done all the other nine plagues against the Egyptians. And there was one more plague coming, the killing of the firstborn son in every Egyptian family. But God did not want that to come upon his people, so he gave them a strategy. So here is God's strategy so that his people could be saved from that judgment. And this will tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. Starting in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lentil of the house where they eat it. They shall eat the flesh on that night roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. So let me explain what I just read. Here was God's plan to save his people. And this is going to sound the same plan that God used to save you through Jesus. He was about to bring judgment on the land. And he told his people, every single household, to get a lamb. And it had to be a perfect lamb, without sickness, without defect. And to choose it on the tenth day of the first month. And he said, if any family doesn't have a lamb, you share yours with them. But everyone's got to have. And we know in the New Testament that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And he was without sin, without defect. And it said that they would choose the lamb on the tenth day of the first month. And this past Sunday, you celebrated Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem and revealed himself as the perfect Lamb of God. And then they said on the 14th day of the month to kill the Lamb at twilight and take the blood and put it on the doorpost of the house. And do you know that a few thousand years later, on that very same day, the 14th day of the first Jewish month of Nisan, that Jesus was killed as the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. At that very same time, on the 14th day of Nisan, when God told them to kill the Lamb, and God said, take the blood of the Lamb and put it on the top, and the sides of the doorposts. 
And that's what they did. And they, they would take the brush and they, they put the blood on the doorpost and the side. And as they did it, they made the sign of the cross. And there was that blood-stained wood. And you know what God said later on in the chapter? He says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to kill the firstborn son in every Egyptian household. But he said, when I come to your house and when I see the blood, the blood of the Lamb, I will pass over you. That's why the holiday is called Passover. Because God told His people, I'm coming to bring judgment. I'm coming with my wrath and anger against sin. But if you've got the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost, no judgment is going to come near you. And if you, if you've got the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, on the doorpost of your heart, no judgment will come near you. The Bible says, even if you would die today and you know Jesus, you would go straight into the glory of the Father. There's no judgment on you. It's because of the the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lamb paid the price for your sin. Just as He did for the Israelites back then, but that was just an animal. They'd have to kill animals every single day and keep sacrificing in, in order to get forgiveness of sin because the blood of the sacrifice brought atonement or forgiveness. But Jesus died as the sinless Lamb of God once and for all. And that's why we celebrate Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God. He's the Lamb that took away all of your sin. If you've got Him in your heart, God has forgiven everything you've ever committed. And God is not angry at you. The wrath of God is not upon you. It might be on the nations. It might be on the rebellious. But He loves you as His child. And then Jesus, the night before he died, I'm going to ask you to take the, the bread. I want to show you why we celebrate communion. The night before he died, Jesus took this bread of the Passover and he said, This is my body. Remember, it's pierced. It has stripes. It's the bread of affliction. It's made without yeast. And he was perfect and sinless. And he took the bread and he broke it, representing his body. So I'm going to ask all of you just to take the bread. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we take communion today. And that's why we use the matzah. Because it's a picture of Him. He is the true bread of life. That if you've got Jesus in your heart, you'll never hunger for anything else. You won't need any other gods. You won't need all the things of this world. You'll be so filled with Jesus as as the true bread. And I'm I'm just going to ask Bert if you could just come and just thank God for the broken body of Jesus.
Lord God, we thank you right now, Father God. We thank you for that body that was broken for us, dear God. We thank you for wiping away our sins, dear Lord, for covering us in your blood, dear Lord. And right now we recognize the ultimate sacrifice that was paid for our sins, dear God. We just thank you and we humbly come before you to worship you, dear God, and to acknowledge your greatness in this act, dear God, as we do this in remembrance of you, Father God. Amen. So let's take the the Holy Communion right now, representing the broken body of Jesus, which, which will give you life and healing. And then the night before he died, the Bible says, Jesus took the third cup of the Passover, called the cup of redemption. Another fancy word. What does redemption mean? It means that God paid the price to buy you back. It means there's nothing between you and God anymore. Redemption means that you've been set free. You've been set free not to sin, but from sin. That's what freedom is. It doesn't mean I act and do anything I want. It means nothing can hold me back anymore. Nothing in my flesh, nothing in, none of the desires of my body are going to keep me from a right relationship with God. You know what else redemption means? It means to restore value. And because you're a Christian, whatever has happened in your past, whatever failure you've gone through, whatever, however much money you don't have, whoever has mocked you or abused you, God has restored the value and the beauty to your life. You, you are a treasure to God. You are beautiful in His sight. Even right now as He's looking down at you, He just just calls you beloved and precious. Why? Because this grape juice represents the blood of the Lamb that was slain and and the blood put on the doorpost. And that's why Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant or the Old Testament. You know what that was? If you act perfect, God will bless you. If you never do anything wrong, now you have God's favor in your life. But he said, this is the blood of a new covenant, which is a free gift, which is by faith. If you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's nothing more you can do to earn His love. There's nothing else you could do to earn His acceptance. He loves you as much on your worst day as He does on your best day. Why? Because of the blood. Because of the price He paid for you. There's freedom in the blood. There's healing in the blood. There's power in the blood of the Lamb to set you free because all your sin is wiped away. No more guilt. It cleanses your guilty conscience. Who wouldn't want to serve such a God, such a Savior? 
So let's just thank Him right now for, for the blood, for His cleansing blood that cleanses you from all your sin, everything you've done wrong. We just thank You, God, in Jesus' name. You see, the Jewish people on the night of the Savior, they get an old dried up lamb bone to remember the sacrifice, to remember the lamb that was killed so that the people could have freedom and forgiveness. But do you know that we as the people of God, we don't worship a dried up bone because He came back from the dead. He rose again and He's alive. And the Bible says in Revelation that there's a lamb that's seated on the throne. And He's got the power to help you. See, all the other gods of this world, they're dead and buried. Mohammed, Buddha, all of them, they can't help you. But we, we don't worship a dead, dried up religion. But we've got a Savior who lives. And He lives to pray for you and help you. To help you to turn your life around and live the lives that God called us to live. See, there was a heavy price paid for us. That's why we need to always examine our hearts and examine our lives to make sure that the way that we're living is, was in line with the price that was paid. So there's just one more cup left. And this cup, is the fourth cup, was called the cup of the kingdom. Because the first time Jesus came to earth, He died on the cross to make us right with God. But you know what happened? He got taken up into heaven. And He said, one day I'm coming back and I'm going to take you with me. One day Jesus is coming back and He's going to take us all to live with Him forever and ever. And Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. I won't drink this grape juice. I won't drink it again until we drink it together at my Father's house in heaven. See, one day we're all going to be seated around this great table. And it's a time calling the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we as the bride of Christ, we're going to drink this together with Him in a place with no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow or suffering. And we're going to live forever with Him. So let's just drink this with that blessed hope that one day He's coming back for His bride. So before we have the kids look for the for the prize and make create total chaos and have Alice chase them around if you want to do that. You look like you're in the mood to chase kids around tonight. The last thing that they did was they sang a song and then they left. So I asked Lee to, um if she could first Tell us a little bit about, about how her life has been impacted by the Lamb of God, 
by the blood of Jesus. And she's going to come right now. And then she's going to close us tonight with a song about the precious Lamb. Amen. I'm so blessed. Um, just be, just partaking in something like this tonight, I'm just so blessed. It brings back so many memories for me. Some of you may know this and some of you may not, but um, I actually was raised in a Jewish home. And, um, you know, growing up, we, I, you know, I was taught to not believe, as you know, to take Jesus as Messiah. And I was a little girl in Hebrew school. And I remember asking questions like, you know, who is Jesus? And like, why is, I didn't understand why he was such an offense to my culture, to the way that I believed. And I was just told that he was a prophet and that he was a good man. And, you know, nothing more than that. And so as a little girl, when we would do the Passover dinner, I remember my grandmother, you know, we would, you know, partake of the bitter herbs and of the, of the bone and all these things that Pastor Gary was teaching everyone tonight. And uh, I remember, <laughs> it's kind of like, imagine like Santa Claus with cookies. My grandma, she would take um, a glass of wine, and she would take the matzah, and she would set it on the table. And it was after she would, she, you know, we finished the Seder, we finished eating dinner, and she would set this out, and she would go to the door, and she would open it, just a crack. And I remember asking her, Grandma, why, why are you doing that? And she was like, well, you know, we do that to allow the Messiah to come in. So I was like, okay. So I was like a little girl, and I was like afraid to go into the kitchen with my brother because I was afraid I'd see a ghost. Like I didn't understand like what was supposed to come in through the door. I didn't understand, you know, like I said, like Santa Claus with cookies, right? So, you know, I always imagined who would this Messiah be and what would he look like? And, you know, I had an understanding of who God was, but I didn't know that he had a son. And so... Unfortunately, through a series of events, I was taken out of my home, um, and I was placed in the foster care system, and I, was my, I became a ward of the state. My parents had given up all parental right of me. And, um, you know, I, I was in the street, and I was homeless, and I went through, from foster home to group home, and just throughout the whole system in my teen years, and, you know, I did not knowing who Christ was. And there was just this pivotal moment where I had said, and professed atheism because I was angry with God. You know, I didn't understand why the things that happened to me happened to me. And I can remember, when I got saved when I was 17. So around like 16 years old, I was, you know, did stupid things, went to clubs and did all that kind of stuff. And so one night, um, you know, God will use anything to, to begin to draw us, you know. And one night I was at a club and there was a shootout, a shootout at this club. And this man, he, we, well, we were running, you know, just like people do, some people dropping to the ground. And the man was probably as close as Pastor Gary is to me right now. And we're running together, and I'm running to my friends to get into like a safe spot. And we hear all these gunshots going off, and I'm running, I'm running. And it kind of felt like everything was going in slow motion. And from the corner of my eye, I saw this guy just drop. And I see my friend, and she's looking back at me, and her face turns pale white. I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? And I turn around. When I finally get to safety, I turn around and I look. And I kid you not, this man lay in a pool of blood, more blood than I had ever seen in my whole entire life. And he, when the, by the time the ambulance came and everything, he was dead on arrival. And I stood over him, and I just began to weep and weep and weep. I mean, everybody thought I was like this guy's girlfriend. They were just like, are you okay? And I didn't even know him, but at that moment, I was like, man, I know that should be me. Like, 
my word, my life is worth nothing. Like why, why? And it was like that night, God, I knew God was watching over me, and I didn't understand, but it put this holy fear in me. I mean, like a holy fear. Like I couldn't even get it out of my head for like the next three, four weeks. I could not get it out of my head. And so the girl that was with me that night. I put such a fear in her as well, and her mom was a Christian, but, you know, she didn't serve the Lord, and she began going to these street meetings, and she gave me this book, and it was about Jesus, so it was like the first time I'd really ever heard the gospel was in this book, and about a year later, um, I was in a singing group, I was in the music industry, and we were on tour, and my friend ministered Christ to me, and she was a backslider, doing the same stupid stuff that I was doing, but because I had no knowledge of God, God used God used her. I couldn't judge her. You know, she had, she understood who Christ was. And I came back and I gave my life to the Lord when I was 17. And it just, it transformed everything that I ever knew. But one, you know, one day, a couple months ago, or maybe it was like a year ago, my husband and I were talking about this, this incident that happened when this guy died. And still to this day, I marvel at that. Like, I marvel. I tell you, I marvel at that. Because I was... I was born in Colombia. I was sold as a baby into this country. I, like I said, I was adopted by a Jewish family, and I was raised a Jew. And then to just be kind of forsaken by all that, and to have had, and there's a lot more to the story, but to have had my life come that close so many times to death, still to this day, I just almost don't understand it. But as my husband and I were talking, it dawned on me. You know, Jesus gave his blood for us, right? He gave his life for us. And I think to myself sometimes, man, God, you really got it in my head that much that a life was taken and mine was spared. And there was blood that was shed. And I watched that pool of blood run down the street. I mean, I never in my life saw anything like this. Till this day, I mean, it's so vivid, the memory. And I recall that, and I recall that the Passover, why now? People always say, oh, you know, my family have had a lot of issues, you know, as far as them understanding why I've accepted Christ and as Messiah. But, you know, I always say it wasn't a turning away of my faith. It was just a completion. It was a wholeness now that I have. Because everything that I believed when I was a child is still the same thing I believe today. It's just they didn't know that God had a son. And I didn't know that he died for me. And I didn't know that that blood that was shed was for the remission of my sins so that I could live forever in eternity. So I just encourage you tonight to remember the blood. I mean, you know, specifically tonight we remember this, but I would just encourage you to remember that he is always the Lamb of God when we mess up over and over and over and over again. That blood never, like the song says, right, like that blood never loses its power. You know, and when that blood was put on the doorpost so that the spirit of death could pass over, just remember tonight that when God looks at you, he sees the blood of his perfect son. He sees you in Jesus. So be encouraged tonight. And as I sing this song, some of you may know it, so sing along if you do.